everyone, before you get started on this episode, I just want to let everybody know that I have renamed the show Historically Haunted, and I also changed up my formula from the episode. So what you're about to listen to is an older version of the show. The new show is a lot better. I hope you guys stick around to listen to the much newer episodes that started at episode 18. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm now at Historically Haunted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you guys want to email me any personal paranormal experiences or just say hi, you can email me now at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. And I have my links to all my new stuff down below. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you guys stick around for the newer stuff. All right, let's roll that old tape. goblins and ghouls. Welcome to History and Mystery. My name is Ariel and I am your host for this podcast where we discover a new haunted and historical location every other Sunday. I hope everybody has had a fantastic two weeks. My health is finally back. I feel so much better. I've been on antibiotics for a horrible sinus infection for two full weeks. Yesterday I took my last pill of that and my voice is so much better. I wanted to thank a lot of you who reached out to me saying that they hope I felt better soon. That really meant a lot. And also last week, I discussed my life with dyslexia. And a lot of you guys gave me a ton of great feedback with that. So thank you guys so much. I hope you all enjoyed my Tower of London episode as well. I had so much fun making the Tower of London episode because I don't really know a lot about British history. So I learned a ton just doing it. And I wish I could have incorporated everything else I found into that podcast. But I also did find some new locations out of that episode that I will be covering in the future so I'm really excited about that. I ended up getting a new job recently and I was not prepared for the holiday mayhem that would descend upon me with this job Um, so I've been really not only under the weather but I've been just exhausted so that's why this podcast is a little late so I just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and I hope you guys are enjoying your holiday season. I will be coming out with a bonus episode soon to make up for my absence. This is now episode 11 and I can't believe it. I'm really excited that this is an episode 11. I never thought I'd make it this far but I'm glad that I'm here. I have one big request for you guys. If anyone is listening to this on an iTunes uh, Apple podcast app would you please go and uh, give my podcast a review? It'll really help me get more out there and hopefully get more subscribers and add more people who love history and hauntings to the history and mystery family. And as always, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can add me on Facebook at History and Mystery and also Twitter at History and Mystery as well. I also have a Instagram account, which is history underscore mystery 13. And you can also get in touch with me at my Wix account, which I have down below. And it is historyandmystery13.wix.com. I'm still on the free one right now, but hopefully that would change. And another big way you could help support the show is I do have a Patreon page, and it is um, History and Mystery, obviously, on my Patreon page. I'll have that link down below. And a few people asked if they can make a one-time donation, and you can, but it's kind of a little tricky. 
but it's very doable. The way that you can make a one-time donation is you sign up the same way you would for a monthly account, and as soon as the first monthly payment goes out, you go back into your Patreon account you made, and then you just hit cancel, and that counts as a one-time donation. For some reason, they won't allow a one-time donation button. I've looked into it, and they really try to get people to do it monthly, but there is a way to do it, and that's how you do it. Um, And then, of course, I also have my uh, newsletter set up and ready to go, so if anyone wants to uh, donate once a month for a dollar or more, you're in the Thunderbird tier, and you get a nice little newsletter explaining facts about what I'm going to be talking about in the future and even previous episodes. And then if you're in my Mothman tier, which is $3 or more a month, you can um, get in there, subscribe, and it will take out the account, and then I will be sending you another newsletter that explains a lot of fun facts. And I'm also working on some Uh, mini bonus episodes so you'll be getting all kinds of new information on monsters ufos and ghost sightings as well so i'm really trying to make it fun for everybody and also make it doable for me because outside of this podcast i do have a job so i'm trying to squeeze everything in but i think i figured out something that'll work if you donate to the show you'll get some bonus e-newsletters and also some bonus episodes And I'm also now on YouTube and I got a nice little comment review that I wanted to read really quick. It was about my episode about urban legends, which was episode eight. And it's from a person named Justin. And he said, you did a dang good job on the hitchhiking ghost tale. Gave me the willies. LOL. Thanks so much, Justin. That was really nice of you. And the last order of business I have before we start on Monster of the Week is just to remind everyone to send in your personal stories. Today, I will be covering my own personal experience story, the very first time I'd ever seen a ghost. And I'd love to share yours on the air. So you can email me at historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. And if you'd like to remain anonymous, I can make that happen. But please uh, give me your story and I will do it. I'd love to do a listener episode, actually. That's one of my goals. And don't worry, you're in a safe space here. I do not judge. I've had some really weird things happen to me over my lifetime. So I totally understand if anyone's kind of scared to share their story. But uh, I'll just read it for what it is and I won't say anything. I'll just be like, that's a really cool and creepy story. Thanks for sharing. Anyway, so don't forget to email those to historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. And now it's time for our Monster of the Week. This week's Monster of the Week is a creature that I want to find and give a huge hug, and that is the Squonk. The Squonk is a mythological creature that is said to reside in the Hemlock Woods of Pennsylvania. This is a lesser known cryptid and there's little information about him out there. But the Squonk first appeared in legend during the height of the lumber industry in the late 19th century. Many people think that the Squonk's original habitat was in the forest and that was mostly destroyed by the lumber industry and forced them to relocate to more urban areas. The Squonk is described as a small pig-like creature that is known for its extreme ugliness. It is the shape of a pig but has loose, ill-fitting, and leathery skin. It is covered in blemishes and boils and it is always sad and weeping. It is said that the skunk thinks he is so ugly that he constantly cries. The skunk is not hard to track because you can follow its tear-stained trail and its loud crying noises, but it is super hard to catch. For when it is spotted and feels scared, the skunk is said to cry acid tears and it will dissolve into a pile of watery goo. 
The Tears of a Skunk is also said to have mythological and magical powers that alchemists have sought after this creature for a very long time. However, the skunk is said to have really good camouflaging skills, you know, when it can control itself long enough to not wallow in its own self-pity. One skunk was said to be caught by a man named J.P. Wetling. He reportedly was able to somehow coax the little guy into his sack, which he then tied and slung over his back. But as he was walking home, he noticed the sack was getting lighter and lighter. And when he got home and he opened the sack, there was nothing but a wet, gooey mess at the bottom of the bag. If it is real, someone needs to find this poor skunk and tell him it is on the inside that counts, not the outside. And for gosh sakes, give him a big hug for me if you ever do see one. Civil War in the United States of America put a scar on the country that we are still feeling today in some ways. It lasted four long and hard years and it tore families apart, put sister against sister, and the battles between brother versus brother were bloody and will never be forgotten. Today, the many battlefields are marked with memorials and statues. Historical museums are at several locations and many of them have become national and state parks to preserve the history of what happened here long ago. Many battlefields have been known to have high paranormal activity with many of it documented. One such battlefield is famous for many historical reasons and today it is famous for not only the historical but also the paranormal. That battlefield and the town nearby is called Gettysburg. And Gettysburg is where I had my very first paranormal experience that made me a true believer and got me interested into the paranormal and it also sparked my love for history. I will be sharing my personal experience in this episode, but first, on to the history. The Civil War started on April 12, 1861, when the southern states seceded from the United States of America and proclaimed themselves their own country that they called the Confederate States of America. They left shortly after Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated as President of the United States. After Lincoln won the election, the southern states were afraid that he would take away their slavery from the southern states, which at the time was how the South ran their whole economy. The total of the economy for the southern slave states was $3.5 billion. Also, it had been a way of life for the South for so long, Southerners were afraid of change. The states in the North were loyal to what was called the Union. Those who were in the Union stood by the Constitution of the United States of America, and the South named themselves the Confederacy as they advocated for what they called states' rights in order to uphold the right to own slaves, which, let's all face it, today we know that was a really bad thing to own slaves. And slavery is a horrible stain on any part of history, as far as I'm concerned. After the South left the Union, the Confederate Army invaded their state's federal forts in what the Confederates now considered their territory. This led for efforts for a compromise from the Union, which failed, and this caused both sides to go back and prepare for war. At first, the South thought that so many European countries were so dependent on cotton that the European countries would back them and stop the Union from coming to reclaim their territory. But none of the countries did, and none of them ever recognized the new Confederate States of America. South was left alone to fight for their own new country. 
Lots of young men and boys signed up to join the army to fight in what they believed was for the cause or what they believed was the right thing to do. A lot of the young men who signed up were just bored farm boys who had never even been to a big city before, let alone had practiced with hand-to-hand combat or even in a regiment. What they thought would be a great adventure with friends, a few shots fired at each other and it would all be over and they'd return as war heroes. But it turned out to be one of the bloodiest wars in the country's history. Roughly 620,000 soldiers died. The Civil War would leave a bloody stain on America. One that left men, women, and children scarred for life, if not physically, mentally. The first battle of the Civil War happened at Fort Sumter on April 12, 1861. The Battle of Gettysburg happened two years into the four-year-long war. It started on July 1, 1863, and lasted three long, hot days, ending on July 3, 1863. This battle was the largest and most bloodiest battle ever to be fought on the Northern Hemisphere. It is also considered the most important battle of the Civil War for the Union victory, but by the end, it left 50,000 dead, wounded, or missing. Robert E. Lee was a famous Confederate general who graduated from West Point along with Ulysses S. Grant and many other generals before the war started. See, the sad part about this war is you have to realize before this war started, people now on both sides were friends and lots of men fighting on one side or the other were sometimes even family. They might have worked in the same place or even gone to the same schools. Lots of the men who were already in the army before the war went to West Point together and graduated together and now they were fighting against each other almost overnight. So when you shot someone on the battlefield, there was a good chance you knew them, or even possibly related to them. After the famous Confederate General Robert E. Lee had a victory over the Union forces in Chancellorville, he marched his unit to Pennsylvania in late June of 1863. Lee had a new strategy. After his big victory, he wanted to lead his troops north to try to take Washington, D.C. for his own, so the Confederates could win the war. Lee didn't have an I want to win this battle on his mind. It was a I want to win this war and end all of this bloody fighting attitude. The battle that would soon make or break the Confederates' chance of victory laid before them at the town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, just seven miles north of the Mason-Dixon line. After the Union defeat in May in Chancellorsville, President Lincoln named a new commander, Major General George Gordon Meade, to the Army of the Potomac. When finding out about Lee's advance to the north, Meade ordered his army to pursue Lee's army that had already crossed the Potomac River into Maryland and was marching into southern Pennsylvania. When Confederate scouts alerted General Lee that the Army of the Potomac was on its way to the same location, Lee had his men prepare for the upcoming attack at the crossroads of the town of Gettysburg. Gettysburg is 35 miles southwest of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Word began to spread about the Union Army needing assistance to help keep the Confederates from pushing their march north, and on July 1, 1863, one of the Confederate divisions went into town to Gettysburg to get some supplies for the upcoming battle, only to find that two Union cavalry brigades had already arrived the previous day. This would lead to the first battle in the town and many more to follow. The Confederate Army was able to drive the Unions out of town, forcing them to retreat back to Cemetery Hill. Terrified townspeople ran to hide in their houses. Many took in wounded soldiers on both sides, and many buildings became makeshift hospitals. 
The Union Army ran to regroup on Cemetery Hill. Cemetery Hill is located one half mile to the south of Gettysburg. General Lee ordered Commander Ewell to pursue and attack the Union Army before more reinforcements could arrive, but Ewell decided not to order his troops to go after them because he thought the Union Army already had the upper hand and refused the order from Lee. This decision was one of the great what-ifs of the war. If Ewell had gone after and attacked an already beaten and tired Union army that at that time did not have any fresh reinforcements, he might have taken them and the hill. But because he chose not to, many historians point to this as being one of the biggest mistakes in the war that the Confederates made. By nightfall of the first day, an estimated 15,500 were killed, wounded, captured, or missing. After the sunset, more Union troops entered the area and began to make trenches to fortify the tops of various hills in the area so that they had the upper hand and higher ground. The line of the Union Army stretched from Couples Hill to Cemetery Ridge. They worked all night long to make sure that they had the trenches ready for battle that was to come the next day. Each night of this battle, the poor doctors and nurses had the really tedious task of going through the fields trying to find anyone who was still alive. After they were found alive, they would load them onto horse buggies or any wagons and take them over to field hospitals. Nurses are definitely the unsung heroes of this war. Up until this time, women weren't really allowed in the medical field at all. It was mostly men nurses, but with the men all being off at war, they needed women to help in the nursing industry, and that's how that really got started. One of these famous nurses was Clara Barton, and she actually became the founder of the Red Cross. But caring for the wounded was a grueling task. Lots of times the bullet would go in and it wouldn't come out, so it would start gangrene right away. And the only way to stop gangrene back then without antibiotics was amputation. I cannot imagine the things that the poor doctors and nurses had to witness every day during all of these gruesome and terrifying battles. And a lot of times field hospitals were not very far away from the actual battlefield, so there was always a chance that you could get hit with shrapnel or even a cannonball could come through and kill you, or even bullets. By morning, the Union Army had a well-established position, and Lee knew it. Furious at Ewell for ignoring his orders, then kept his men back instead of advancing, Lee felt that he had no choice than to try to attack the Union Army, even though it was against the advice of his second-in-command, James Longstreet. Longstreet could see the fortification that the Union had made overnight and was worried that it would be impossible to penetrate, but Lee decided that to win the war, they needed to make it over the top of the hills and beat the Union Army now. Lee sent Ewell's troops to fight the right flank near Couples Hill. They were instructed to attack early on, but Ewell lost contact with his scouts and got lost and went two hours in the wrong direction, making him have to turn his whole army around, and they did not make it back to the spot until nearly 4 p.m. The battle raged on many different spots. Wave after wave of Confederates and Union soldiers fell to the ground dead and waves just stepped over the top of their fallen comrades. The smoke was so thick that generals lost contact with their men and screams of men lying on the battlefield would be tremendous and the sound of cannon fire must have been deafening. Many mistakes were made, but one that almost cost the Union Army the whole war was that of the mistake of General Daniel Stickles. Fun fact about General Stickles is he was the first man in America to use the temporary insanity charge in court, and it worked. He got off when he murdered his wife's lover, shot him dead right in front of the White House, actually, which is pretty crazy if you ask me.
He was also very arrogant because for some crazy reason, he decided to move his whole platoon down from the top hill advantage down to a field. He spread them out across a wheat field, orchard, and what is now called Devil's Den. This caused his men to be overrun by the Confederates, making other Union armies weaken their own defenses to send reinforcements to that side of the battle. While the slopes of Little Round Top were saved thanks to the Union's fierce fighting, but due to Sickles' bad judgment, his regiment lost the orchard, wheat field, and Devil's Den. By the end of the second night, the Confederate Army had advanced on the Union forces that were held at Couples Hill and East Cemetery Hill. But the Union's Army's fierce fighting was able to stall the Confederates' main attack until dusk. By dusk of July 2nd, an estimated 9,000 or more on both sides were dead. This brought the combined casualty total from just two days of fighting to an estimated 35,000. Rivers and creeks ran red with blood. Rocks and fields were stained red, and the next day was about to come. When dawn broke on July 3rd, Union forces and the 12th Army Corps were able to push the Confederate Army from Couples Hill. Lee thought he would have a victory the day before, so he set up his general, George Pickett, to march some three-quarters of a mile across open fields to attack the Union Army. This turned out to be a tragic mistake. Pickett's division had fewer than 15,000 troops, and when they began their attack, they got hit from both sides, and by the end, barely half of the Confederates survived, and Pickett's division lost two-thirds of its men. That march is now known as Pickett's Charge. After this failed attempt, Lee rounded up his forces to pull them all back and prepare for a counterattack that never came. By July 4th, Lee had to pull his whole army as they retreated back to Virginia. The three-day battle left 23,000 Union casualties and 28,000 Confederate casualties. That was more than one-third of Lee's army, now dead. The North saw this as a big victory, and the South saw this as a stunning defeat. But in the end, everyone mourned the loss of so many men. An estimated 51,000 soldiers died over the course of three days. The town of Gettysburg and the surrounding area was full of dead soldiers, and the smell was so bad that women walked around town with handkerchiefs drenched in perfume held up to their noses so that they would not have to smell the smell of death. The battle was so gruesome and so well publicized that President Abraham Lincoln came to dedicate the Soldiers National Cemetery in Gettysburg on November 19, 1863 with his famous speech we all know today titled The Gettysburg Address. With all that death, sorrow, and pain in the area, it would be hard to imagine that this area is not haunted. But it is truly a sad feeling to go in person. While you are surrounded by history, you can feel the stories of the men, and some women soldiers as well, even though they were in disguise, that died there. And it is not hard to imagine them out there still waiting for their stories to be told. Hey guys! Before I get started on the ghost section, I just wanted to let everyone know this is future me coming to you and letting you know that I filmed the top part of this show when I was feeling a lot better and now my voice sounds a lot worse than I feel. I was fighting off a really bad cold again, but I feel better. It's just my voice is a little weak and so I'm just going to fight through it and continue and I hope you all can bear with me. I am so over being sick and I hope that this doesn't happen again, but there's no guarantees. So thank you all so much for your patience and we will start up the ghosts right now.
When it comes to haunted battlefields, the most famous is definitely Gettysburg. And since I had a personal experience here, I have to agree with them that I think this place might be haunted. <laughs> there are crazy stories of people talking with and being handed things from the past, seeing phantom nurses frantically trying to help the wounded, and also hearing distant screams for help from the fields and apparitions seen all around town. The whole town definitely has a big energy about it, and you could feel it still to this day. I personally think that there was so much energy going on all in the same place, and it left an invisible footprint on the land. But don't be too afraid, though. The town today is a beautiful tourist destination. Cute shops, great food, really nice people that still live there. Battle reenactments happen quite a bit, so you can get a nice history lesson out of those. It's a national park, so there's a lot of tours going on. And also, there's plenty of ghost tours. If you ever decide to visit this beautiful location, you might be lucky enough or unlucky enough, depending on how you feel about it, to see a ghost at the location like I did. There are more ghost stories in this place than you can shake a stick at, but I will do my best to cover as many as I can. First off, I wanted to tell you all about my personal experience that I had while I was staying at the Comfort Suites in Gettysburg. We stayed at this location while I was on an eighth grade field trip. It was a week-long trip during spring break, and it was called the DC trip, but we went to DC, Gettysburg, Amish country, Pennsylvania, and finished in New York City. It was one of those structured tours where it's always rush 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 and go here and go there and we only stayed in Gettysburg for one night when my group stayed at the hotel in Gettysburg it was a newer hotel at the time and a little did I know it had a graveyard in the back of it I think the adults either didn't know at all or decided not to tell us kids because I actually never knew that it had a graveyard until I looked up the location to see if I could find out why it was haunted and to see if anyone can back up the claim that I experienced and I found out that the hotel has a graveyard in the back of it. I was aware at the time that it was built on the actual battlefield and the hotel is also located near the battlefield museum. This was the second to last stop until we went to New York City, so it was at the end of an extremely long and tiring week. As soon as we got off the bus, I knew the place was different. I have always been sensitive and now I know that I'm an empath, but it wasn't until this moment in my life that I started to see how sensitive I truly was. It started as soon as I got off the bus. When I got off the bus, I got this overwhelming smell of death. It was as if I could smell the battlefield frozen in time. It made me physically ill for a bit. My mom was a chaperone, so she thought I was just bus sick, you know, from the drive from our last stop, but I wasn't. I was extremely upset, kind of crying, and I know this sounds crazy, but I truly smelled that, that sweet death smell, and also I smelled like the copper of the blood, and no one else could smell it but me. So we went into the hotel, put our bags in our room, I got some water, and my mom was sitting with me, and I started to feel a little bit better, and it started going away for me. And when we left for our dinner, I didn't smell it anymore, it was like it just came and went. Of course, when I got off the bus and I was freaking out telling my mom that I smelled death, everyone gave me a look like I was crazy, so I was a little self-conscious by this point. I was trying to just stay low-key, not get laughed at anymore, and just kind of keep my head down. We ate our dinner, and then we went on a ghost tour, and that was my first ever ghost tour I'd been on, and I was really excited, but also thinking it was kind of a joke at the time. The tour was really good, but at the time in my life, I was, you know, an eighth grader trying not to get laughed at or bullied, so I was just trying to stay mainstream and... You know, I just didn't want anyone to think that I believed in ghosts, so therefore I just didn't believe in ghosts, like, personally. So we did the tour, and I liked it for the history part, but I didn't know how I felt about the ghost stories at that time. 
That would change a few hours later. After the tour, we went back to our hotel. We were only staying there one night, so we had a big National Parks tour the next day. So as soon as we got back to the hotel, we had to like go to bed and get ready for an early day. I was with two other girls um, the whole trip. It was the same people assigned to the same room. So it was just me and two other girls in the room, and we had turned off the lights and getting ready for bed, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the alarm clock went off. I had done a bit of traveling by this time in my life, so I knew that some hotel guests set them at really weird hours for flights and such, so I just turned it off, and I laid back down, and it went off again. So I sat up, and I turned on the light, and I really looked at the clock. On the digital face part of the clock, there was nothing indicating there was a reason for it to be turning off and on like this. So I made sure it was off this time. Like I checked everything. I laid back down and as soon as my head hit the pillow, it went off again. And this time it was scaring us. So we all started freaking out. And at this point, because it was uh, becoming more and more persistent, it went off again. So we turned the light on and as soon as the light flipped on, the alarm clock switched off on its own. We were all staring at it and I tentatively like stuck my hand out to touch it and it went off again right before I touched it, which was a shock. It freaked me out. Like I'll never forget that jump I did because you know those old alarm clocks especially, they sounded so atrocious. They were just like that "Eh, eh," noise. It was awful. So I got so sick of it. I unplugged it. We tried to calm down and go to sleep, but I do remember one of the girls got really freaked out and called one of the chaperones that was staying on our floor and they thought we were just making it up and the, our imagination was going wild because of the ghost tour we just went on. So they told us to just chill and go back to sleep. Well, we tried, but then the TV turned on on its own. That really scared us and we were really freaking out by this point. One of the girls went behind the TV and unplugged that as well. So then we left a light on and we sat there for a long time and kind of it stopped. So then we were like, okay, let's just go to sleep. So we all were like hiding under the blankets and we, I did remember falling asleep for a bit, and because the alarm clock was unplugged and we didn't have cell phones at that time, I don't remember what time it was, but I suddenly woke up to the sound of running water, and it was in the bathroom, and it was the sink, and then it shut off, and then the toilet flushed on its own, and that's when I really started to panic, and then I felt this hot flush go up my neck, and I felt like that that feeling, you know, where you're like, oh my gosh, don't look don't look, but you know something's looking at you. I finally couldn't take it anymore, and I turned, because there was a light on, I could see, so I turned and looked toward our door, and I sat bolt upright. In the mirror across from the bathroom door, I saw a Confederate soldier, I mean a full-bodied apparition. I could see his uniforms, I could see his boots, his, his buttons were even tarnished a little bit. He was leaning in the door frame, looking I would describe as politely confused, (laughs) like, what are you doing in here? And I was staring at him just really scared. And then I felt the girl in my bed kind of shift, and then she must have noticed I was sitting up. So then she sat up, and she must have seen it because she screamed bloody murder, making me look at her like, what the? And then I looked back, and he was gone. Of course, that scream woke the other girl up, and then we were all freaking out, and we couldn't sleep the rest of the night. It was really bad. And as soon as we like we could leave to go down for breakfast, we were out of there so fast. One of the girls was kind of a little more popular, and I tried to talk to her about it the next morning, and she was like, basically like, don't talk about it. It never happened. I'm leaving, and she just took off. And I remember at the time, she was one of those girls who always was like watching MTV, and she was always like really like popular. So she didn't put on makeup. And that was a huge deal for her. So she just like was just out of there. She didn't even want to think about it. So I know she saw something. 
So, you know, we go down to our continental breakfast, freaking out, telling the adults. And of course, the adults thought, okay, you made it up. Your imagination was running wild, blah, blah. And then two adult chaperones came down a little later than usual. And they said that they think their room was haunted because something was messing with their bathroom faucet and the shower kept turning off and on all night on its own. So that was my crazy experience. It definitely made me a true believer and it made me pay more attention to my sensitivities. And now I know that I, like I said, I'm an empath now. So it really helped me explore the paranormal world after that. I got really into history as well. I really love history. I had already been and felt this weird pull towards Civil War history for some reason, but this amplified it like tenfold. And I, I was buying books and all kinds of things on us trip after that. I also started watching Ghost Hunters after this trip, which it was still in its newer season. So yeah, it made me go from, I don't know about ghosts to I think they're real and I want to watch every ghost show, read every ghost book and read every history book I can get my hands on. Sometimes I feel like I know more about Civil War history than I do my own time period, which is weird. I just have a really weird connection to it and I can't quite understand why I do. If you have never been to Gettysburg before, my story probably lets you know that the town is literally surrounded by bodies. And there is no telling how many there are still out there in the fields and mass graves that have never been discovered. Because of this, stories have been told about hauntings like that of Sachs Covered Bridge. This is considered one of the best hotspots to see ghosts of soldiers, though the area is not available after dark unless you have a tour scheduled. Disembodied voices, footsteps, apparitions of soldiers on both sides, as well as orbs and strange mists have been seen near this area and on the bridge itself. While Gettysburg has many ghost tours in their town, tours are not allowed on the battlefields from the information I found. If I'm wrong, someone please let me know. But a hotspot for ghost investigations and haunted Gettysburg tours is the Grove. The Grove is located behind the Warrior Stadium and the Gettysburg Area Middle School. This is reportedly a location where lots of camera anomalies take place. And also, there is a story that I found from a blog post about the tour a person was on. And they said that the tour guide said that... A 13-year-old girl ran away not long after the battle ended, and she basically became mad by all the dead bodies that were laying around, and she ran to the grove and killed herself. Now the ghost of the girl haunts the grove along with the fallen soldiers that are seen. I personally could find no evidence of this actually happening, but it does make for a really good ghost story nonetheless. One real-life story with a haunting attached to it is that of the story of Mary Virginia Wade, or as some know her as Jenny Wade. Jenny was one of the only civilians to die during the Battle of Gettysburg. On July 3rd, at around 8 o'clock a.m., she was hit with a mini ball while she was in her home working with her mother making bread for the Union Army. The bullet came through the kitchen door and through the parlor and then struck Jenny in her left shoulder blade and it went through her heart, killing her instantly. The bullet fell into her corset. She then fell to the floor and her mother and aunt screamed so loud that the Union Army came in the home and helped the family move her body to the basement where they hid for the rest of the battle. Jenny's body was moved to a bench in the basement, and then after the battle, Jenny was temporarily buried in the backyard. Fun fact, she was buried in a coffin that was meant for the Confederate General William Barksdale. In January 1846, her body was relocated to the Evergreen Cemetery in Gettysburg, where they have a really nice memorial for her at her grave site. No one knows who killed Jenny, but some authors and historians have credited a Confederate sharpshooter who was using the doorknob on the kitchen to side in his rifle. 
Her story is really tragic. Her father was also in a mental asylum at the time of her death. The United States Senate did end up giving her mother a pension, saying that her daughter died serving the Union cause. You can still see hundreds of bullet holes in the house from the battle to this day. Today, the house where she died is called the Jenny Wade House, and it is a museum, and it is full of paranormal activity. There are many accounts from visitors and staff of hearing Jenny herself wandering in the house day and night. Whispers can be heard as if someone is trying to get your attention. Many photos have been taken where it seems that Jenny just might be in them. Also, people have reportedly smelled the smell of baking bread in the kitchen area. It is also thought that her father might be haunting the house as well, looking for his daughter since he was in a mental hospital at the time and may never have understood why and how his daughter died. When I was on the ghost tour, actually, I still remember this one. Um, the ghost tour uh, woman who was our host, she told us a really creepy story about the Jenny Wade house. We walked over to it and we talked about it and she said that there's a chain, and I don't know if this is true because I didn't go in, but apparently, at least at that time, there was a chain or some kind of a rope that goes around the bench where Jenny was placed in the basement, and it is said that that chain kind of moves on its own, and some people believe that that's her dad, like, still looking for her body, which is really sad because it got moved, so he might be looking in the wrong place. The Gettysburg College is full of ghost stories. I might just have to do a full episode on it someday. The highlights of this spooky school are phantom footsteps in the halls and in the dorm room areas, apparitions of Union and Confederate soldiers inside and outside the buildings, things moving on their own, voices in empty rooms, and for me, the most creepiest story of them all is this one. In 2003, two men were working in Penn Hall as administrators, and they went into the elevator to go to the first floor. But instead of going to the floor they wanted, the elevator kept going and took them to the basement. When the doors opened, it opened to the past, literally. There in front of them was a full working Civil War hospital. They could see a hospital with the doctors and nurses and soldiers frantically running around trying to help the wounded. Blood was everywhere. But thankfully for those two, there was no sound or smells coming from the door to the past. They said they just stood there horrified until they finally came to their senses and started frantically pressing a button, any button, to shut the door. After the door shut on the elevator, they didn't move for a while, and then they hit the open door button, and when the doors opened, the basement was back to normal, and the scene was gone. During the battle, that building was used as a field hospital. The one thing that creeps me out more than anything is child ghosts, and if that's what you're looking for, then maybe you would want to check out the Old National Soldiers Orphan Homestead, located on Baltimore Street. Today, it is the location of the Soldiers National Museum. The National Soldiers Orphanage Homestead was opened after the Civil War. So many families were torn apart that there was a great need to take care of the children who lost both parents. Or, in the case of some desperate families, mothers with no way to support their family had to give their children up. The orphanage was opened on November 20th, 1866. It was meant to help children, but it turned into a very unhappy place. It was overcrowded by 1868, and the abuse charges against the teacher and disciplinary Rosa J. Carmichael came forward. Horrible stories from this place of young children being beaten by an older student Carmichael had brainwashed to hurt the younger children for her enjoyment. Also, she would shackle the children to the walls in a small area of the basement she called the dungeon. The children were filthy and malnourished. If these stories were true, this is one cruel woman. Today, you can still see the shackles left on the wall in the basement. Reports of hearing them rattle and shake have been made, along with children talking, screaming, and crying. 
Also, the feeling of being tugged on by unseen forces, as if a child is pulling on your clothes to get your attention. Full-bodied apparitions of the children in period clothing, as well as looking extremely filthy and malnourished, have been seen, and also seeing Carmichael herself. This next story is one of the craziest stories I have ever heard. During the filming of the 1993 movie Gettysburg, the cast and crew filmed a lot of the movie on location. Due to the film's large scope, the movie company had hired reenactors to portray Union and Confederate armies. During one of the downtime, several Union extras were resting on Little Round Top watching the sunset when an old man in a ragged and scorched Union uniform came out of the woods next to them. He walked up to the extras and talked to them about how ferocious the battle had been and how fierce the fighting is. And then he passed around spare rounds of ammunition to the men, wished them luck, and walked off. The group of extras just assumed that the man was part of the production company and maybe they were using him as an extra while filming so he was just staying in character. But they later showed the rounds to the man in charge of the props department. When he saw the rounds, he concluded that the rounds the man had handed out was genuine musket balls from that time period. The man was never seen again. I don't know if I have ever heard of a ghost giving someone something from a different time period before. I don't know if that was a true time warp situation or what happened, but that is a crazy story if it's true. Devil's Den has had dozens of ghost sightings over the years. The most famous of these is that of a ghost of a barefoot man with a butternut colored shirt and a floppy hat. The description fits the ragtag unit from Texas who fought in the battle. Every time he has been seen, he says the same thing. He says, what you're looking for is over there, and he points toward Plum Run, and then after he says this, he vanishes in front of your eyes. Now, I have a weird feeling that that's not intelligent, but something along the lines of maybe a residual haunting. I think a lot of the stuff on the battlefield is just residual. Like, people have claimed to see, like, marching soldiers, and then they just disappear, and I think they just keep seeing, like, the same timepiece going on and on replaying, but I don't think that means a lot of those ghosts are there. Now, in my case, I did have an intelligent haunting, so I think there are also plenty of those, but I think that's what makes battlefields like this so compelling, is that you're getting a lot of different things all mixed together. You've got the uh, residual hauntings mixed in with actual intelligent spirits as well. While you're walking around the streets of Gettysburg, you might get the whiff of perfume. This is believed to be the residual energy from women who had to douse their handkerchiefs in perfume to try to block out the smell of death after the battle. With so many bodies just left after the, both armies left, it must have just been disgusting and so horrifying to witness. I can't imagine what these people went through. The battlefield surrounding the town is, of course, a big hot spot as well. Photo evidence and videos, if they are genuine, have caught soldiers walking around in the woods and fields. Phantom cries for help and screams have come out of the darkness of the woods and in the fields. Cold spots, the feeling of being watched, even the feeling of being tugged and poked have also been reported. With the energy of sadness, hatred, and pain filling this landscape for an intense three days, it's hard to imagine it not leaving an imprint of some kind that is still felt to this day.
I hope you have all enjoyed hearing my personal experience and the many others that have been seen and heard in Gettysburg. Because I had the experience that made me a true believer at this location, I know deep down that this place is haunted. I would love to go back to this location someday, especially as an adult, and see if I can find any more people from beyond the grave that have their stories to tell. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey around the history and mystery of Gettysburg. Please don't forget to add me on Facebook at History and Mystery, and also I'm on Instagram at History and Mystery 13, as well as Twitter at History and Mystery. And also, don't be afraid to send me your personal experience stories, and I will read them on my show. I hope you are all having a fantastic holiday season. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, and also Happy, or I guess they would say Merry UL. Merry UL certainly sounds really good to me. I can't wait to see you guys next time. I hope you have a fantastic week with your family and friends and enjoy the holidays.